Good morning, church. Happy Sunday. Also, Father's Day, you'll notice I am not dressed up. Only do that for Mother's Day. Hey, real quick, before we get started, we're going to be, you guys are going to hear the, the best sermon ever preached today. I want you to know that. Uh, and you can actually follow along. We have it written down too, at least two-thirds of it. And so if you did not get one of these copies of uh, the Sermon on the Mount and you want one, we're going to be using this in our time together. So if you're in the room and you need a copy of that, would you just uh, uh, throw your hand up and one of our amazing hosts would be glad to get you a copy of that. I'm going to uh, have you guys take some notes today uh, as we listen to the best sermon ever. Uh, delivered. So if you want that, just throw up a hand and one of our hosts will get that to you. Also, I want to let you know uh, that we are right in the middle of our uh, summer schedule. And these uh, little cards, to give you a reminder, are available in the back of the seat in front of you. And for those of you who are joining us online, you can check out our summer schedule at our website, dsbc.church. Uh, we've got uh, different opportunities for you to connect on Sundays. Next week, we're having big breakfast, so eggs, pancakes, stuff like that. And we're kicking off every Sunday at 8.30, breakfast outside on the patio and in the lobby. And then we're having an, an all-church service uh, 9.30, and then uh, just the time to hang out after our uh, 9.30 service. So we're not doing our 11 o'clock gatherings right now. Those will pick back up again on August 1st. So this, for us, is an opportunity to, after a, a year and a half, roughly apart from one another, an opportunity for us to gather as an entire church family to sing together, uh, to pray together, to hear from God's word together, and also to eat together, which is a spiritual discipline, as it turns out. So uh, glad you guys are joining us through this summer. Also wanted to mention, you can find more information on the card on Thursday nights, starting this week. We are having dinner and games in the Student Center. Uh, anyone in here play spades? Seriously, this is a real question. Spades, this is a card game. You guys heard of this? Yeah, spades. Okay, so if you want to be ruthlessly crushed in spades, Come on Thursday, uh, I'm going to beat you so bad that you're going to find another church after, after the humiliation that you will suffer. Just want you to know that. Also, if we have any people who play Risk or Catan, again, that invitation stands. Uh, on Sundays, we're all about hospitality, uh, dinner and game night, soul-crushing loss for you if you play me in any of the games that I happen to enjoy. So would love to see you there. Even if you don't like games, uh, please come for dinner, 6 o'clock in the Student Center on Thursday nights. And again, that'll be for the next six weeks. Love the opportunity to connect with you. Uh, every week for the last few months, almost every week, I should say, I have met people who've been a part of our church family, uh, but this was their first time on campus. And so, uh, especially if you're kind of in that space, would love to connect with you on Sunday mornings or Thursdays for dinner and game night. Now, we're, con uh, we're continuing in a series called Mind Your Own Business. We're looking at uh, how following Jesus shapes our understanding or view of money. And so my, my question for you is, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, uh, according to our understanding of Scripture, uh, asking this question, uh, for those of us that do follow Jesus, the question is, how does following Jesus shape my understanding of material wealth, material resources, money. For those of us that are still trying to figure out who Jesus is, maybe we're, we're here because we wanted to eavesdrop and just hear uh, what it might look like to follow Jesus. Here's another question. 
What does Jesus say about material wealth and resources? And so this is the question that we're going to dive into, and and we're going to look at uh, the best sermon ever preached. Now, I don't have any audio recording of it, but we do have a transcript of it, at least uh, what many uh, people would argue is a condensed version of a sermon that Jesus gave. Uh, You were going to go through about two-thirds of it. We're going to go through Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6. This is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, and you'll never guess why. Spoiler alert, it was a sermon given atop a, you guys are already one step ahead of me. So what we're going to do, I want to give you just a couple things. Uh, uh, You should have a a sheet that looks like this. Mine's all marked up. I took my notes on it this week. Uh, And you've got Matthew chapter 5 and 6 there in its entirety. Uh, And and we didn't, we're not going to go into Matthew 7, although there's just a ton of great stuff there. But for the sake of time, we're going to stick to these two chapters. So today, we're going to look at two-thirds of the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason that I wanted you to look along with us is so that you could mark it up and and maybe not feel bad about marking up in your print Bible. Uh, I would encourage you, though, I I love uh, placing marks and notations and highlights and things like that because it draws uh, my eye to some of the recurring themes or even some of the things of note. And so I'm going to refer to my notes, and I would encourage you to note or to notice things in this sermon. Jesus gave uh, an amazing sermon here, and it definitely covers a wide variety of things, including, maybe even primarily, uh, when it comes to the ethic of the sermon, how we view things uh, like sex, money, and power. Jesus is going to go hard on the paint and, and really preach this radical teaching that for many of us, we're going to find uncomfortable. We're going to find ourselves asking, is, does he really mean what he's saying? And, and there's going to be a, a lot of stuff in this sermon sermon that that we're going to read and we're going to hear, and it's going to make us uncomfortable. And here's the deal. I think that's a feature, not a bug. I think that this teaching from Jesus is designed to cause us to be introspective, to to be contemplative, to be uh, self-examining. And so for the sake of time as well, I'm going to go through, uh, we're going to go through this teaching together, and I'm not going to stop at every moment and, 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 and try to couch some things or maybe even give context. I want to encourage you just to, just to let the sermon sit with you, to wrestle with it, and I believe that as we allow Jesus' teaching to work on us and his spirit to use those words to mold us, that there will be a great joy. There's a gift in the process, even though we may go through some discomfort to get there. Many of us are saying, what does he mean? You'll know in just a minute. Uh, A couple of quick contextual items, though. Jesus here in this sermon and throughout the Gospels contrasts or, or, or paint, excuse me, paints a picture of the, the cosmos, the reality of the universe that you and I live in, uh, not the way that most Westerns do, especially Western Americans. You see, for, for many of us, we think about the cosmos like this. There's heaven, and then there's what? Hell. And then somewhere in between is earth. But that is not how the biblical authors understood the cosmos. They understood that there's heaven And then there's earth. In fact, the phrase heaven and hell are never joined together in the text. It's always heaven and earth. And so one of the things I want to encourage you to notice in Jesus' sermon is how many times he mentions heaven and how many times he mentions earth. And here's the other thing, too. When we're talking about heaven and earth, when we're talking about Jesus' understanding, the biblical author's understanding of heaven and earth, they're not just talking in terms of geography, 
the phrase, go to heaven when you die, is not in your Bible. When Jesus speaks of heaven, he's not only speaking about this concept of of a place that God lives, so to speak, he's also talking about a power structure. He's talking about the, the way that things are in that realm. So think in terms of two different realms. In fact, he'll use the language of kingdom. He'll speak, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, of the kingdom of heaven. In other Gospels, the kingdom of God. And then... Also in scriptures, you will find the kingdom or kingdoms of this world or the powers of this world. And so constantly juxtaposed in Jesus' mind and teaching are the kingdom or the realm of God's domain, the the realm of God's power, the way that God has ordained things inside of his kingdom. So heaven is the kingdom of heaven. It's a power structure. It's a realm. And then there's the kingdoms of this world, which are under God's domain, but have turned their back on God. Have you guys ever heard of Eden? Come now. You guys heard in Eden? Okay, so in Eden, in in the book of Genesis, at the beginning, you have the story of God creating the heavens and the earth. And those two spheres, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdoms of this world, they are they are conjoined, so to speak. They are overlapping, where God and humanity dwell together. But then there was a situation with some fruit. By the way, if you think that all this mess was started because God really wants to keep his produce safe. You might be misreading the text. It is about, right, in the Eden story, it is about humans turning to go their own way, turning their back on God, giving God the finger, saying, I'm going to go my own way, right? Fleetwood Mac, you can go your own way. They go their own way, turning their back on God, saying, I'm going to be the center of the universe. I'm going to be the king and queen. And so you have this cosmic fracture between the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and kingdom or kingdoms of this world. And then the last book of the Bible, the end of your Bible is this crazy book called Revelation. And do you, know, you want to know what happens in the book of Revelation? That the two kingdoms become united again because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He's, he's, he's overlapping the kingdoms again. And here's the thing. Jesus says that the foretaste or the glimpse or the proof or, or the way that we show the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of this world is all of the Jesus followers. He would, he would call this his body or the church. That though you and I, for those of us that are Jesus followers, though we live in the domain of the kingdoms of this world, we live out the ethic of the kingdom of heaven. You're going to find that throughout your entire New Testament. That the call to Jesus followers is to live as ambassadors, not of their localized kingdom, though they are to be good citizens of their localized kingdom of this world, but they are to live according to the power, uh, excuse me, according to the power of, the principles of, the values of, and the ethic of the kingdom of heaven. And so many of us are then left asking, what are the ethics, what are the values of, what is the way to live the kingdom of heaven while we are in the domain of the kingdoms of this world? You're never going to guess where we find the most profound articulation of that, the answer to that question. It might be in a sermon that Jesus did. Now, someone in this room may actually know. It is the Sermon on the Mount. That's why we're studying it today. Thank you so much, Susie. Many have argued, and I would agree, that in the Sermon on the Mount, you get the most crystal clear understanding 
of the Jesus ethic, what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven now while I also have dual citizenship with a kingdom of this world. Okay, here's the deal too. This, this old, uh, old theologian named Richard Baxter, who was writing, I think, in the 17th century, one of the things he said was, many people have no difficulty choosing between heaven and hell. When given the option, nobody chooses hell, right? Which is why that question doesn't really reveal what's going on inside the heart. You see, where most of us come into tension is when we have to decide between living for heaven and living for what? When given the choice between heaven and earth, many of us find what? Tension or conflict. We don't want to give up the things of this world. And so here Jesus is going to help us, and boy, is it going to make us all just quite uncomfortable. Uh, Before we do that, though, you guys heard of Moses? Yeah, Moses was this dude, he mentioned the book of Exodus, he was was a leader chosen by God to lead uh, his people out of captivity, out of slavery in Egypt, into what sometimes is referred to as the promised land, into uh, freedom, into salvation. Biblical authors will use that language. Now, now here's the deal with Moses. Now, some of the things about Moses is not only was he a strong leader, but he was also a lawgiver. He, uh, what are those, there's um, 10 of them. They were written on stone. Like he comes down the mountain with them. Like we have a, Charlton Heston did a movie about it. Like where he's, what is the things called? The 10, um, 10 commandments. Yeah, it's interesting. The word commandment isn't actually used in the scriptures. It's just the 10 words or the 10 phrases. But, the, but, the, but what we would, I don't have a problem calling them commandments. The 10 commandments are there to instruct God's people on their ethic, how they're supposed to live as God's people in uh, the world. It was, they're surrounded by the kingdoms of this world. How do we live as God's people? And it's interesting that Moses was up on top of a what when he gave the law. Where, what was he on top of? Mountain. It's weird that, is that kind of weird that Jesus also would do this sermon on a mountain? Oh, that's interesting. And it's interesting too, especially in, in the people that Jesus would have been preaching to, uh, all of them knew the Moses story. Uh, there's this other part about the Moses story too. You, you guys remember, like maybe, maybe, maybe you remember it, uh, like Pharaoh was like an evil uh, ruler, and because he was afraid of losing power, uh, he had all the, I know, I know that this is horrifying and it's intended to be horrifying. Because Pharaoh was afraid of losing power, he had all the little boys uh, killed. Is there any other story in the Bible where an evil ruler is afraid of losing power and in so doing justifies to his own self the murdering of innocent boys? You guys ever heard of Christmas? You know, in the Christmas story, there's that, there's that part where Herod... Because right, okay, so that's another parallel. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, in fact, um, Jesus is intentionally postured or represented as the new Moses. Uh, in fact, in the sermon that he's about to, that we're about to listen to, I want you to listen and hear if he says anything like this: "You have heard it said, but I say, you have heard it said, maybe by Moses." But I'm going to tell you a deeper truth than what Moses gave. In fact, that that might actually be in here. In fact, spoiler alert, it is definitely in there. Oh, this is really cool. This is like, do you guys know when you you have a party and you play Bible trivia? Do you guys know that? 
Like, like today's Father's Day, great opportunity to play Bible trivia. I know you guys love playing Bible trivia. Here's how, here's how to score high points on the Bible trivia. Um, Moses was to lead his people into the promised land, but because Moses failed, because at times Moses rebelled against God, he was not permitted to cross over the Jordan River into the promised land. And early on in Jesus' ministry, do you know what Jesus passes through when he's baptized? Do you see that maybe the gospel authors are saying he's the new Moses? In fact, that might even be something you want to take notes on. Jesus here is the new and fuller lawgiver. Oh, man, this is, okay, so many cool things. Um, Moses led the people through Egypt for how many years? 40 years, wandering in the desert. And Jesus wandered, not wandered, but was led into the desert uh, and fasted for how many days? 40 days. So I, I'm just, I'm, I personally, I want to argue, and I'm convinced of this, and I want to argue from Scripture, that the gospel authors are intentionally showing you that Jesus is the fuller and greater Moses. He's the fuller and greater lawgiver. And Jesus actually is going to riff on this theme when he addresses a question. Jesus, have you come to abolish the law? And he's going to say, no, no, but I'm picking up the torch and moving it forward into a greater understanding of what it means to live as my people. Okay, let's go. Um, yeah, okay, I'm going to read the whole thing. And I, would, I want to encourage you to note uh, heaven and earth language. I want to encourage you to note law language or any sort of ethical principle that might help us to shape how we understand what it means to live as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You guys ready? Here we go. When he saw, this is Matthew 5, verse 1 and on. And so for those of you following along uh, online, if if you don't have a Bible with you, that's totally fine. Go to Bible.com and then look up uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, and we'll go chapters 1, excuse me, chapter 5 and 6 the whole way through. When he saw the crowds, he went up on the... And after he sat down, his disciples came to him... And he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The kingdom of what? Okay, that's interesting. Kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Hmm. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice, because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. and gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Everybody note that, that they may see what? Your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. 
Don't think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of but whoever does and teaches these commands, TV time out, but whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And we all said, uh-oh. You have heard it said, Excuse me, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, but whoever murders will be subject to judgment. I tell you, everyone who is angry with their brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Time out. But I tell you, did you hear what he said? But I tell you what? Everyone who is what? Angry with whom? And everyone said, uh oh. Whoever insults their brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, You fool, will be subject to hellfire. Do you think Jesus was on Facebook? So if you are offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, uh, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. Page three. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than your whole body go into hell. Are we encouraged? It was said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife except in a case of sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not, excuse me, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, don't make an oath at all either by heaven because it is God's throne or by the earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black or grow back again. <laughs> Lord, help us. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Any more, anything more than this one is from the evil one. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. 
As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with him, go, excuse me, with them, go two. TV timeout. Uh, this would have been a, a common thing to have happen to anyone who wasn't a Roman soldier or a Roman citizen. The Roman soldier could come and point a spear at you and say, carry my bags for the next mile. And so it's under duress. Do you catch it? This is not someone saying, hey, can you help me carry this? This is someone being forced to carry something for a mile. And then Jesus says, double down, go to. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son, uh, the son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles, TV time out. That's a word to refer to anyone who's not Jewish. So another way to translate it would be the nations. Uh, Don't even the nations do the same. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. TV time out. Did you guys hear that? Be what? Perfect, like your heavenly father is perfect. And all God's children said, "Uh uh-oh. Matthew 6, 1, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. TV time out. Have you ever heard Jesus say, let your light shine before others? So that what? People would see your good deeds and give glory to God, to God on the day he visits us. But here he says, don't practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Is Jesus an idiot? Did he not know that this would be maybe a contradiction? Or do you think that Jesus is doing something much deeper here? I'm, I think option two. But I'm not going to tell you what it is. Okay, let's keep going. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you. TV time out. I love that. Could you imagine somebody doing that? Like they, they go, you know, they're, they're, they're in their neighborhood. They're going to go, they click, you know, Habitat for Humanity, and then they walk out into the street. Everyone, I'm making a donation. Click. So if you are tempted to do that, don't do that. Okay. When you, verse 3, when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Whenever you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles. Again, that's the nations. Since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Real quick time out. What was a common practice at the time in prayer is that you would just pray to a bunch of different gods in hopes that you would be heard. You, you just name all the gods that you could possibly think of, hoping one of them would pick up the phone. And one of the things that Jesus is talking about here that you're going to see is God always hears you. So this babbling is not just irreverent babbling. This is a hope-filled babbling. Maybe if I could just say the right God's name, then my prayers would be answered. And here Jesus leans in and says, no, this is your father. He is listening. 
Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Verse nine, therefore you should pray like this. Tell me if you've heard this one before. Our father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Pause. I want to argue, this is an opinion, not a conviction. I think in the Lord's Prayer, you have a summary of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a condensed summary of the whole biblical ethic. When we pray Lord's Prayer, notice it's right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And the themes in Lord's Prayer are the themes of the Sermon on the Mount. And so when we pray Lord's Prayer, we're, we're, we're not only uh, following the model that Jesus gave to us, but we're also invoking all of the biblical ethic into that one condensed prayer. Verse 14, this is hot fire. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Does that sound weird to anybody? Yeah, I, I think what he's talking about here is the capacity to self-analyze uh, around issues of greed. That, that statement, the eye uh, is the, the window of the body, right? That, that, that if the eye is dim, if the eye can't see it, you're, just not, you're not able to receive it. I think he's talking about how we can't see when we love money too much. The reason I think that is just where it is in the text. It's my opinion. You could totally think something else, and I'd love for you to convince me otherwise. Let's keep going. Uh, verse 24, no one can serve two masters since either they will hate one and love the other or they will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is it life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Everybody take a big deep breath in. Let it out and receive these words. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to your life span by worrying? Why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. 
If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? And so don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles or the nations eagerly eagerly seek all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Notice now a second time he is saying, God knows what you need. Do you remember how the scriptures will often juxtapose two power structures? They're oftentimes referred to as the kingdoms of this world, and what was the other one? Kingdom of what? Verse 33. But seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness. Uh, Another way to translate that is justice. And all of these things hmm, will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Just a few notes, and then what we're going to do is take some time, and we're going to receive a gift together as a church family. Here in just a few moments, uh, one of our members, uh, Mary Mwangi, who has a gift of prayer, is going to pray over us. Uh, And one of the reasons why we felt like that would be a blessing today of all days is because as we hear this teaching, uh, I know at least for me, I'm torn between feeling uh, conviction and, and frankly sometimes fear, or at least some anxiety and discomfort, And then also some peace and a connectedness to the Father, especially when I hear words like, aren't you worth more than the flowers of the field or the birds of the air? And so I want to encourage you just even as we kind of make a few notes here um, that Jesus loves you so much and he's nearer to you than you are to yourself. And the point of the sermon is not toxic shame or guilt, but it is introspection. Jesus is giving to us in these hard words and in this hard teaching a a chance. Excuse me, he's giving to us a gift. And the gift is an opportunity or a chance to look inward and to pray as the psalmist says, Lord, search me and know me. Too often, texts like this can be used by people in my profession to beat people over the head, and that's certainly not what we're doing. But at the same time, I'm not here to try to soften Jesus' words. I need them to work on me, and I think he wants to use them to work on us. And so we're going to kind of land the plane, just making a a few notes and then receiving a gift of a prayer of blessing. John Stott says this. uh, He's a theologian from the 20th century, said, Jesus confronts us with himself. He sets before us the radical choice between obedience and disobedience and calls us to unconditional commitment of mind, will, and life to his teaching. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays before us the radical nature of what it means to follow him. And he simply lets it sit there and says, come and follow me and be changed in the process. So as we're thinking about money, we're also thinking about sex and power. Although our focus today through this series is money, this this applies to all of life. And just notice a few things. Notice throughout the sermon, there is a juxtaposition between two power dynamics between two value systems. Do you guys remember what they were? The first one, the big one, was called the kingdom of what? Heaven. 
And it's juxtaposed against what? The kingdom of what? Kingdoms of this earth, or the kingdoms of this world. And notice how he lands the plane in chapter six. Uh, when I was a kid, we learned it in the Kings, and it went like this. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of this, or all of these things, will be added unto you. And so what Jesus is doing here is saying it is so easy for us to get our eyes and our hearts and our minds focused on the value systems of the kingdoms of this world that we, that we turn our back, that we begin to neglect the kingdom of God. And what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 I know you live inside the kingdoms of this world, but seek first, not the kingdoms of this earth, but what? Seek first the what? The kingdom of God. And did you notice what he said? And all of these things will be revelation. Do you remember how revelation, the, the last book in your Bible, do you remember how it ends? We're back to Eden. Do you remember how the Bible begins? Where the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world are uh, they're conjoined, they're, they're overlapping. And then your, the, your Bible ends with the kingdom of this world becoming once again under the complete and utter domain of the kingdom of God. And you have harmony, you have, you have peace and harmony between the two where he is our God and we are his people. And so Jesus, we're, we're in the middle here of this timeline structure. And Jesus says, right now, live the values of the kingdom of heaven, even though you live in the kingdoms of this world. And notice the promise. All of the things of the kingdoms of this world will be what? Added to whom? You. So does that have any implication to our money? How, how can Jesus be so bold as to say things like, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also? Strive not to add earthly wealth, but rather focus on that which is unperishing, right? The kingdoms of heaven. And in so doing, all that you long for will be given to you. Now, here's the rub. You guys ready for this? The when is left up to God. When will all these things be mine? And we know at least in the fullness of time, it is when the two spheres can join again, when heaven and earth are reunited. But in the meantime, I live as if that promise is true. Let me put it to you again, a little bit differently. When you, do, do, do you, have you guys ever heard this said, blessed are the poor in spirit? You guys ever heard that before? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are humble. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Blessed are those who are merciful. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of justice. Are those people blessed in the kingdoms of this world? Talk to me. Come on now. Are, 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 are those who mourn considered blessed in the kingdoms of this world? Okay. Are those who hunger and thirst for justice, oh my goodness, are those who long for true justice satisfied in the kingdoms of this world? Uh, are those who are poor blessed in the kingdoms of this world? Huh? No. How can Jesus 
get away with this. Isn't this pastoral malpractice? He's lying to you in his sermon unless he sees that the promises of God will be truly fulfilled. And that if we seek first the kingdom of God, living as kingdom citizens now, that all of our heart's desires that are, that, are, that are placed or misplaced in the kingdoms of this world, all of that which we need, all of that which the kingdoms of this world, what we long for, it will be ours because the two kingdoms are becoming one. God rules and reigns. We are his subjects. We are his people. And our good father takes care of us for eternity. So live it now, Jesus is saying. Well, how, Jesus, can I live it now? And you'll notice what he does. You've heard it said, don't murder. But everybody doesn't murder. Rather, if you are angry with your brother and sister. So what's Jesus doing? <clears throat> Let me ask you this question. Okay, I'm going to do this, and then Mary's going to pray for us, because, boy, I need it. Okay. I'm going to do one of the easy ones. Jesus says, if you call someone a fool or empty-headed, it's a, it's a slanderous term, the term rocket. We don't know exactly what it means, but it's basically you idiot. If I, he, said, he says, if anyone calls somebody else an idiot, they're subject to hellfire. Did you guys remember that? Right? And so here's the question. If I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, recognizing that the kingdom of heaven will once again join the kingdoms of this earth, in that state, or the eternal state, or to put it another way, in heaven, when heaven's reunited with earth, will I be calling you idiot? Will we, be, will we have Facebook fights in the kingdom of heaven? Will we slander each other and gossip against each other in the kingdom of heaven? Will we treat each other with derision and disrespect in the kingdom of heaven? Come on. So what Jesus is saying is, because God always fulfills his promises, you live that way now. As a light to those who are stuck and enslaved in the kingdoms of this world. And call out to them to turn to the light of the world. 